Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Radio Days. This is your host, John Hagedorn. I've been checking over the numbers for the past 30 days, and our variety shows only do about half as well as our cop and detective shows. So, I'm bringing back some cop and detective shows and mixing in a little bit of variety. The stories are all new, you haven't heard them before, and I hope you enjoy them. And now, Dragnet. Sound off for Chesterfield. Chesterfield, the first and only cigarette in America to give you premium quality in both regular and king size, brings you Dragnet. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned a homicide detail. A young woman tells you that her mother has disappeared. There's no trace of her whereabouts. Foul play is suspected. Your job, investigate. First, we read you the six-month report. Then, the eight-month report. Now, here is ten full months of scientific evidence on smoking Chesterfields. A medical specialist is making regular bi-monthly examinations of a group of people from various walks of life. Forty-five percent of this group have smoked Chesterfields for an average of over ten years. After ten full months, almost a year now, the specialist reports he observed no adverse effects on the nose, throat, and sinuses of the group from smoking Chesterfield. That's the report. And Chesterfield is the first and only cigarette with premium quality throughout, in both regular and king size. Fine tobaccos, the world's best. Costly moistening agents to keep them always tasty, always fresh. And the finest cigarette paper money can buy. Yes, everything that goes into your Chesterfield makes it the premium quality cigarette. And it's the only cigarette that gives you this scientific evidence of real smoking pleasure. Try much milder Chesterfield today. They're best for you. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case transcribed from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Tuesday, August 5th. It was hot in Los Angeles. We were working the day watch out of homicide detail. My partner's Frank Smith. The boss is Thad Brown, chief of detectives. My name's Friday. We were on the way out from the office, and it was 10.46 a.m. when we got to 4298 North Estrella Street. The front door. Hot. Yeah, it sure is. Yes, Mrs. Uh, what's her name? Randall, Ella Randall. Mm -hmm. Did she say what this was about? I just said that her mother disappeared. She wanted to talk to us about it. Uh huh. Yes. Ms. Randall. Yes, that's right. Police officers, ma'am. Oh yes, come in, won't you? Thank you. Thanks, ma'am. Warm out. I, I think I'll leave the door open. Hope the flies don't come in. My name's Friday, Mrs. Randall. This is my partner, Frank Smith. Uh, how do you do? How do you do, ma'am? Could you tell us just what it is you want to see us about? Well, of course. Sit down, won't you? Uh, thank you, Miss Randall. Would you like some tea or something? I have some ready in the kitchen. No, thanks. Just what was it about your mother, Mrs. Randall? <laughs> now that you're here, I guess maybe I could be wrong about it. I was so sure. Well, just what is it, ma'am? Well, Mama's gone. I don't know how long it's been, but she isn't with Papa. Well, what's your mother's name, Miss Randall? Bertha. Bertha Schroeder, my father's Henry. Uh-huh. What makes you think there might be something wrong? You said in the phone that you were pretty sure that something had happened to her. Well, yes, I guess I ought to start at the beginning. It's kind of a dull story, but maybe it's the best way. All right, ma'am. You sure you wouldn't like a glass of iced tea? No, thanks, ma'am. Thanks just the same. <laughs> Mind if I get some? Just take a minute. All right. Hey, it's a nice place, huh? Yeah, it is. Sure decorated nice. Hey, look at those trivets. What? Trivets. Those little things over the fireplace, those brass Oh, yeah. yeah. Faye's been wanting some of those. I used to use them to hold irons, you know. They get hot and put them on the ironing board so they won't burn the cloth. Put them on those things. Yeah. I brought a couple extra glasses in case you decided you wanted some. Well, if you just go ahead with the story, Miss Randall. 
Yes, well, to understand it, really, you'd have to know Papa. Uh -huh. He came over to this country when he was just a boy, only about 16 or so. Landed here and couldn't speak more than a dozen words of English. Went to work in New York. Worked as a construction man. Worked hard. Met Mama there, and they got married. Right after that, they moved out here. Bought a house, and Papa went into business for himself. Yes, ma'am. Well, maybe it was the life he'd had when he got here. I don't know, but he always treated Mama like she was so much dirt. Mean. Time went on, he got meaner to her. Remember when us kids were in school, he used to yell at her all the time. He'd get in the mood, and he wouldn't talk to any of us for days at a time. Is that so? I never knew how Mama took it. She never said anything. Just stand there and let him scream at her. And when he was finished, she'd just kind of shrug her shoulders and take his kids out of the house. Walk around for a while and then go back to the house. By that time, Papa was so mad he wouldn't talk to anyone. Uh-huh. Go ahead. Well, all of us kids married young. I got married when I was 16. The rest of the kids weren't much older than that. Papa didn't want us around after that. He said for us to get out and make our own way. He said that we had to. So there's no reason that we shouldn't. <clears throat> you, you sure you don't want some of this? No, thank you, ma'am. Thank you very much, ma'am. Would you well, mind going ahead, Ms. Randall? Yeah, yes. A couple of months ago, I tried to call Mama. The operator told me that the phone had been disconnected. Beg your pardon? I, uh, the operator told me that the phone had been disconnected when I tried to get hold of Mama. I see. Now, I waited a couple of days. You know, I figured that maybe she'd call me. Yes, ma'am. Well, she didn't. You see, once we were out of the house, none of us went back. Papa's retired, and none of us wanted to see him. It's a terrible thing to say, Mr. Friday, but it's true. Ma'am? We all hated him, all of us kids, for what he'd done to us, the beatings and all, but most for what he'd done to Mama. She was only 52, and she looked like she was 92 terrible the way he treated her. I see. Like I said, we'd never go over there, but Mama come to see us whenever she could. She'd come over, visit for a little bit, you know, talk about the kids and things. Yes, ma'am. Well, I didn't hear from her, and I got a little worried that maybe she was sick. If she was, I, I know that Papa wouldn't tell us, so I went over to the old house, and I rang the bell. I was kind of braced because I thought I'd see Papa, and there'd be an argument, but there wasn't. Ma'am? No argument. Oh. Papa didn't answer the door. Some young woman answered it, and I asked if I could see Mrs. Schroeder. Right away, I knew there was something wrong. Well, how was that, ma'am? Well, I could see inside the front door. The living room had all been changed around. There was new furniture. It looked like the walls had been painted, too. Mm -hmm. What did the woman say when you asked for your mother? She said they didn't live there anymore. Said that they'd, they'd rented the house, you know, and that they'd been living there for the past month. Mm-hmm. Well, at first, I, I don't think I believed her. I asked her who rented the house to her, and she said Papa did. Then I asked her where he was. What'd she say to that? Well, she gave me his address. I went over there to talk to him. It was a little tiny apartment just off La Brea. He said that Mama was gone. I asked him where she'd gone, and he said that she was on a vacation. Mm-hmm. Well, I know him well enough to know that he'd never let her go away. Be no one to darn his socks and keep the house clean. Yeah? I wanted to know where she'd gone in this vacation. He said back to the old country. Said she wanted to see her family. He said that they'd gotten a letter from her sister that she was sick and, and wanted to see Mama. Mm-hmm. Well, right then I called him a liar. Told him right to his face that he was lying. I kind of thought that he'd hit the ceiling, but he didn't. He just smiled and said that I had no call to say anything like that. He asked me why I said it. What was that? You thought that he'd hit what? Well, I thought that he'd hit the ceiling when I oh, said I that see. to him, yes, when I called him a liar, I mean, you know? Mm -hmm. I told him that if Mama had left, she'd have written, maybe not to me, but to one of the kids. I, I called around, and when I didn't hear from her, none of the kids had either. They were all worried about her, too. I see. Well, what did he say to that? He said he couldn't understand it, so that he'd gotten a letter, that he'd gotten it not more than a day or so before, that she'd arrived safe and was having a wonderful time. This was a letter? Yes, this was a letter he got from Mama. Well, I told him I thought he was lying. Then he said that he'd show me the letter. Well, did he? Well, yeah, he showed, he showed me the letter, but he wouldn't show me the envelope, just the letter. He said he'd thrown the envelope away. Well, was the letter from your mother, ma'am? Well, sort of from the words it was. Told all about her trip and how she was enjoying herself. Said that she was with her sister and that she was getting better. And then she went on to tell how much she missed Papa and all. Uh-huh. Right away, I could tell that it wasn't Mama's handwriting. She never wrote that letter. Beg your pardon? I said that I knew it wasn't Mama's writing on that letter. Yeah, well... Well, that's when I thought about calling you. Then later I remembered something, and then I made up my mind about calling you. Well, what was that, Ms. Randall? Well, Mama only had one sister living. She died three years ago. <laughs> 11.13 a.m., we continued to talk to Ella Randall. She told us that she was sure that her mother would not have gone off of her own free will. She said that when she last saw Mrs. Schroeder, she appeared to be in good health and in good spirits. We got the names and addresses of the other children in the Schroeder family. We also got the address of the Schroeder relatives in Europe. Ellen Randall told us that we could find her father at the apartment, and she gave us the address. 12.15 p.m., Frank and I drove over to see him. This is ridiculous, utterly ridiculous. Well, maybe so, sir, but we'd like to see the letter that came from your wife. We could... Uh, officer, I'd like very much to show it to you. Really, I would, but I can't. Why not, sir? 
For reasons that I haven't got it anymore. I destroyed it, burned it a couple of days ago. Who's your wife staying with, sir? It was her sister. Uh-huh. Well, from what we can find out, sir, your wife's sister died three years ago. How could your wife be staying with her? Oh, all right, I suppose I might as well tell you about it. Doesn't seem to be any other way. All right, sir. Go right ahead. First off, my wife is not in the old country. She's not with her sister. What you heard is true. Uh-huh. Officer, what I have to tell you is very hard to say. I find it hard to find the right words. That's all right, sir. You just go ahead. We've been married for 30 years. 30 years, man and wife, and, and then she did this. Almost broke my heart, officers. Is one of you married? Oh, yes, sir. My partner here is. Then you'd know what I mean. You'd know how it is. Sir? She left me. Packed her things and left. It didn't give me any reason. Just said she didn't want to be my wife anymore. Said she didn't want to share my roof. Just left. 30 years. All that time and she left. What kind of terms were you and your wife on, sir? Uh, what do you mean, this, this term? Well, did you and your wife get along all right? Were you happy? Uh, certainly. As I said, we were married 30 years. Yes, sir, I understand that, but did you ever have any quarrels? Sergeant, all married people have quarrels. Maybe the house isn't clean, maybe dinner isn't big enough, maybe the children get too loud. All married couples have quarrels. It's part of living together. Well, from what we understand, sir, some of the arguments you and your wife had were pretty serious. The people who said that are liars. They seem pretty sure. Liars, that's what they are. Oh, sometimes maybe I'd forget myself, get a little loud, but serious, never. How'd you get along with your children, Mr. Schroeder? My children? Yes, sir, that's right. How'd you get along with them? All right, they were a little wild. All children over here are like that, wild. They don't respect their elders, but I got along good. There seems to be a difference of opinion on that, too, sir. We've heard that you and your children weren't on too friendly terms. And you believe this? You think that this is true? Mr. Friday, Mr. Smith, these were my own flesh and blood. I loved them, still do. Maybe that sounds hard to believe. I can imagine what you've heard, I know. I, I've heard about this before. I know who told you. You didn't think I'd know, but I do. It was Ella, wasn't it? Wasn't it? Who told us isn't important, sir? But it is. You see... This is very hard for me to say. Thirty years married, and it is all a mistake. I knew it from the start. She was a shrew, Mr. Friday. I, I knew it right away, a shrew. Sir? My wife, Bertha, almost from the day we were married, she was a nag. All I wanted in life was to do a day's work and come home and read the paper, maybe have a pipe of tobacco, rest, work, and have my home. Maybe someday when the children were grown, they'd say, Papa was good. He gave us a good house, and he was good. That's all I wanted. Yes, sir? Bertha didn't want that. Always wanted more. For the children, she said. When I wouldn't kill myself at work, she'd get angry, talk loud to me. All I wanted was peace. When the children came along, she taught them just like her. How do you mean, sir? Told them what a mean man I was. Turned them against me. My own children taught them to hate their father. Their own father. Yes, sir. Well, why didn't you tell your children that your wife left you? No, Mr. Friday, I couldn't. This would break their hearts. They might hate me, but I don't want them to hate their mother. I couldn't do that. The Lord would never forgive me for that. Have you heard from your wife at all since she left? Not a word. I, I made up that letter so the children wouldn't find out. I couldn't have that. Did she take any money with her? Would you know that? Yes, she did. We have a joint account at the bank two blocks over. She made a large withdrawal the day she left. Well, Mr. Schroeder, why'd you rent your house? It was all by myself. The house was full of Bertha. All the things were hers. Everywhere I looked, I saw her. It hurt me, Mr. Smith. I had to get out, so I came here. It's not much, but I can read the paper and I'll then have a pipe of tobacco. It, it's peaceful. It's all I need. Mm -hmm. What'd you do with your wife's personal effects? I don't think I understand, Sergeant. Her clothes, the furniture from the house, things like that. They're in storage. I had some men come out and take all of it away, stored it away. He thought that maybe someday Bertha would come back and we could take up where we left off. Yes, sir. Could you give us the name of the storage company where you left the furniture? Mm, certainly. It's out on Pico. I can give you the address. Is that important? No, sir, not really. It's just something we ought to check. Don't you think it might be better if you told your daughter about all this or about what's happened? No, Mr. Smith, it wouldn't prove anything. Nothing at all. Well, that's the way you want it, sir. There's nothing we can do about it. It's better, Mr. Friday. Believe me, I know. If they hate me, there's not much I can do about it, but I don't want to bring them any unhappiness. I couldn't do that. Yes, sir. I'm 65 years old, Mr. Friday. I worked hard all that time, harder than most men. Had four children. They're all grown. They have families of their own. All this, and I've got nothing. Nothing but lonely days and empty nights. Yes, sir. 
It's an awful thing, just off. Sir? To work all your life and have nothing to show for it. One thirty-seven p.m. We got the address of the storage company from Henry Schroeder, and then Frank and I left to go back to the office. At this point, we had two stories. Both of them could be true. Both of them could be lies. There was no way of knowing. In the meantime, it was merely a matter of checking. Until it could be proved one way or the other, there was little action we could take. 2.15 p.m., Frank and I checked back into the office, and I put in a call to the storage house. Yes, sir. I'll wait while you're checking, huh? I don't know, Joe. Sure seems like the old guy is telling the truth. Well, we check this out, we'll know one way or the other. Such a nice little guy. Seems hard to believe that he'd do anything wrong. Yes, sir. Yes, sir, what was that? Uh-huh. Could you tell me when? What was the name? Mm-hmm. That's right. Yes, sir. All right. Uh-huh. Thanks very much. That's no, Joe Friday. F-R-I-D. Yeah. That's right. Michigan 5211, extension 2521. Right. All right, thanks again. How about it? He stored the furniture all right. Yeah. They remembered him. Talked to him a couple of weeks ago. Uh-huh. Told him to sell everything. We drove out to the storage house and talked to the owner. He said that Schroeder had called them out to pack the furniture, and then he ordered it stored. A week later, he called back and told them to dispose of all the furnishings and personal effects. We called Schroeder's bank, and they told us that there'd been no large withdrawals on the date of her disappearance. Also, she'd drawn no checks since. We got in touch with the other children, and they verified their sister's story. They all said that the father was hard to live with and had on several occasions struck Mrs. Schroeder. They told us that it was possible that she had left her husband, but that she would certainly have gotten in touch with one of them if she had. They said that as far as they knew, Mrs. Schroeder was in good health, and she was in good condition mentally. One of the daughters said that they were planning on a shopping trip to buy school clothes for one of the grandchildren. The woman went on to say that as far as she knew, Mrs. Schroeder would not have left without saying something to her about not being able to keep the appointment. We got in touch with Ella Randall. She said that she would like to accompany us when we talked to the neighbors of the Schroeder woman. She said that she could point out her mother's friends and that she would be able to trace her mother's movements about the neighborhood for us. 4.15 p.m., we picked her up. We talked to the neighbors and they told us of hearing loud voices coming from the house. They said that Mr. Schroeder was always angry at his wife and he made no attempt to hide it. 7.30 p.m., we went on to talk to the people who had rented the Schroeder home. Come on in. Thank you very much, Mr. Armstrong. My partner, Frank Smith. This I is Mrs. Know. Randall. Yes, Mrs. Randall, I've met before. How are you, Mrs. Randall? Yeah, how are you, Mr. Armstrong? Well, what's this all about? We'd like to ask you some questions about the Schroeders, if we could. Well, Mrs. Randall here would be able to answer them better for you. They're her parents. Well, yes, sir. We'd like some information from you, if we could. All right, go ahead. Don't think there's much I can tell you. Did you see Mrs. Schroeder when you rented the house? No, come to think about it, I didn't. Mr. Schroeder talked about her, but I didn't see her when we took the house. Uh-huh. How'd Mr. Schroeder act when you rented the place? I don't think I understand. Well, did he seem upset? Anything at all unusual about him? As a matter of fact, there was. What was that, sir? Well, the house was kind of old. You know, paint missing from some of the woodwork. Some of the paper was a little faded, and we asked him if he planned to fix it up before we moved it. You know, if he'd foot the bill. Yes, sir, we understand. Well, right away, I kind of expected an argument. He just seemed like that kind of a guy. You know, who wouldn't spend a nickel he didn't have to. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like that. A smile, say anything that we wanted to have done. Real nice. Sure hasn't caused any trouble. Of course, there's no reason for him to. We pay the rent on time, take care of the lawn, the flowers. I think we're pretty good tenants. Sure is a difference. Never looked like this when we lived here. I remember that Mama would ask him to paint the place a little. Always raised the roof. Said there wasn't any reason to do it. Said to wait until the kids were grown and, and appreciated a house. Not like that with us. Well, he was with his own family. Even when we were gone, after we left the house, he said that there wasn't any reason to fix the place up. Said that Mama and him were the only people who ever saw the inside of it, and it didn't matter to them. Like I said, couldn't ask for a better landlord. Well, I, I kind of hate to ask this. Yeah? Well, I, I wondered if, if I could see the rest of the house. I'd, I'd kind of like to see what he did to it. Well, I guess it's okay. It won't take too long. i got to eat pretty quick. Got a bowl tonight. The team's playing the league championship tonight. Well, just a look. I won't keep you. Okay, well, you know the house? Yes. This is the living room. Bedrooms are down the hall. This is the dining room. Oh, pretty paper. It made Mama so happy to have this. Here's a bath. All new tile, just beautiful. Yeah, it makes it nice. Mm. It's a master bedroom. This was Papa's room. Sure is nice. Oh, look at the pretty curtains. Those are ours. 
We said he'd put drapes in if we wanted them, but oh. Sally, it's a wife. She likes curtains. Uh-huh. We do, too. Here's this, the oldest boy. This was Mom's room. Oh, it's just beautiful. That's a beautiful carpet. Yeah, he put that in, too. Didn't even have to ask for that. It's own idea. Wall-to-wall carpeting. Mama always wanted it. The only room in the house that has it. Do you have a cellar in this house, Mr. Armstrong? Yeah. We use it for the freezer. Sally puts up canned goods in the summer. Keep them down there. I wonder if we could see it, please. Uh, sure, but there isn't any change down there. He didn't do anything with the cellar. Yeah, sir. It's all right, though. We'd like to see it. Oh, sure. like to make it fast, though. I gotta eat, you know. Yes, sir, we understand. It won't take very long here. Church sure, down this way. Had to run electricity down there for the freezer. I guess he'd have done it, but it was just an extension cord. Thought about having it done permanently, but no real reason to. I understand. I'll go ahead and get the light. Yes, sir. You want to wait here, Ms. Randall? Why? Well, no reason, ma'am. We just thought it might be better. Well, all right. I'll wait in the living room. All right, thank you. Come on, Frank. Yeah. Not very big, just room enough for the freezer and a few shelves. Uh-huh. Cement floor, huh? Yeah. Frank? Yeah? You want to swing that light up here? I want to check something here. Oh, sure. What's this room under, Mr. Armstrong? I mean, what's above it? Let's see. That'd be the master bedroom about to there. Uh-huh. The room next would begin there. Uh-huh. That'd be Mrs. Schroeder's room, wouldn't it? Mm, from what Mrs. Randall said, yeah. Uh-huh. You got a piece of paper, sir? I'd like to get up on the freezer. I don't want to scratch it here. Why, something you want? Well, I'd just like to look. I have a piece of paper, cardboard, anything, cloth. I don't see any. Go ahead. Just don't scratch your feet around. It'll be all right. All right, sir. All right, Frank. Swing the light around, will you? Yeah. What is it, Joe? Oh, I'm not sure. You got your flash? Yeah. Here you go. All right. Okay. What is it? What do you see up there? <coughs> we better call the crime lab and get him out here. What is it? Seep through the flooring up there. Yeah. Looks like blood. <laughs> listening to Dragnet, the authentic story of your police force in action. All over America, smokers are changing to Chesterfield because Chesterfield is the first and only cigarette with premium quality throughout in both regular and king size. King size Chesterfield contains tobaccos of better quality and higher price than any other king size cigarette. Well, that's certainly important to every king size smoker. Of course, it's the same fine tobacco as in regular Chesterfield. So remember, the modern way to sell cigarettes is the Chesterfield way. First and only cigarette with premium quality throughout, in both regular and king size. Chesterfield is much milder. Chesterfield is best for you. <laughs> p.m. The crime lab was called and they came out to go over the place. A benzidine test was run on the stains and it was proved that they were blood stains. The carpet in the bedroom was removed and additional stains were uncovered. Frank and I checked the cellar floor, but it was solid and there was no evidence that any part of it had been torn up. A preliminary check was made of the yard, but we found nothing. The next morning at 7.58 a.m. we called the crime lab. They'd finished their investigation and told us that the stains were made by human blood. 8.10 a.m. Frank and I drove out to the house to continue our investigation. Boy, it's going to be a scorcher. Yeah, it looks that way. Did you check that corner of the yard over there? Yeah, doesn't look like anything's been disturbed. Well, let's talk to the neighbors again. There's got to be an answer someplace. Okay. You know, I'm going to tell Faye to get me some of those shirts with the holes in them. What do you mean, holes in them? You know, like they were back east. Little bitty holes between the material. That way you don't get so hot. Yeah. Hey, wait a minute, Joe. What? There's something on the grass over there by the rose bed. Oh, it's probably a locket or something. One of the kids dropped a toy, maybe. Yeah, I'll get it. Give it back to Armstrong. What do you got? Piece of dental bridge work. Looks like it's been in a fire. The crime lab was called, and they went over the backyard. They checked the incinerator, and under a large heap of ashes, they found several pieces of bone. They took a sample of the ash back to the lab to examine it. We got in touch with the daughter, Mrs. Randall. We got the address of Mrs. Schroeder's dentist. Frank and I drove out to talk to him. We showed him the piece of dental bridge work that we'd found. 
and he identified it as positively belonging to Mrs. Schroeder. He showed us the card from his files, which gave the date that he'd installed the bridge. 11.56 a.m., we called the crime lab, and Lieutenant Lee Jones told us that the ash and the particles of bone that he'd recovered could be of human origin. 12.15 p.m., we drove out to the apartment and took Henry Schroeder into custody. We talked to him in the interrogation room. I don't understand all this. None of it makes any sense. Well, it's pretty simple, Schroeder. Simple? You say that I killed Bertha, and you say it's simple. How can you say that? Why do you say that? You must have a reason. I, I told you all I know. There's a couple of things you didn't tell the truth about, sir. What? You said that just before your wife left you, she made a large withdrawal from your account, didn't you? That's right, she did. She did take some money. Well, in checking your bank account, we found no record of any such withdrawal. You've got no right to go through my bank account. You've got no right. This is a murder investigation, Schroeder. We've got a right to clear it up. But she did take the money. She did. You've got to believe me. It's a little hard to do, Schroeder. Since your wife disappeared, she hasn't drawn any money out of your account. Before that, she drew checks to pay the local store bills. Now, how do you explain that? I can't. I can't. I, I, I don't know what you're trying to say. I, I, I don't know what you're trying to get me to say. We're trying to get you to say the truth, that's all. But I am. I am. You said you put all the furniture from your house in storage. Now, is that right? Yes, I said that. Mm -hmm. You said you wanted to keep it in case your wife came back and you two started all over again? Yes, that's the truth. We checked the storage company. They told us you called them and ordered everything sold. Told them to sell it as soon as possible. Now, how do you explain that? You're getting me so confused, I can't think. And we checked the house, the one where you and your wife lived. We found blood stains, lots of them. They're human blood. I, I don't know. I don't know. People who live there now said that you put a carpet over the floor. Only room in the house that has a carpet. They say it was your idea. I can't think. I, I, I don't know what you're saying. Well, here's a report here. Take a look at it. It's a list of the things we found in your incinerator. Things that were burned. Now, do you want to read it, or do you want me to read it to you? How about it, Schroeder? Schroeder? I didn't mean it. Thirty years. Thirty years married. I didn't mean to do it. I, I came home late. Real late. I'd, I'd been drinking. We had words. I hit her. I don't know what happened. I, I, I knew what I was doing. I kept hitting her. Then she was dead. I didn't mean to do it. I didn't mean to. I, she turns the kids against me. Turned everybody against me. Thirty years, Mary. She turned everybody against me. I'm afraid you got it wrong, mister. Huh? You did that yourself. <laughs> The story you have just heard was true. The names were changed to protect the innocent. On December 10th, trial was held in Department 87, Superior Court of the State of California, in and for the County of Los Angeles. In a moment, the results of that trial. Now, here is our star, Jack Webb. Thank you, George Fenneman. Friends, remember this. Chesterfield is the first and only cigarette with premium quality throughout in both regular and king size. And Chesterfield is a cigarette that gives scientific evidence of real smoking pleasure. So try Chesterfields today, either way, regular or king size. Chesterfield is much milder. Chesterfield is best for you. Henry Rudolph Schroeder was tried and convicted of murder in the first degree. He was executed in the lethal gas chamber at the State Penitentiary, San Quentin, California. just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice comes from the office of Chief of Police W.H. Parker, Los Angeles Police Department. Technical advisors Captain Jack Donahoe, Sergeant Marty Wynn, Sergeant Vance Brasher. Heard tonight were Ben Alexander, June Whitley, Harry Bartell. Script by John Robinson. Music by Walter Schumann. Hal Gibney speaking. For a million laughs, tune in Chesterfield's Martin and Lewis show Tuesday night on the same NBC station. And sound off for Chesterfield, regular or king size. You'll find premium quality Chesterfields much milder. Chesterfield is best for you. Chesterfield has brought you Dragnet transcribed from Los Angeles.
sound off for Chesterfield. Chesterfield, first cigarette with premium quality throughout in both regular and king size, brings you Dragnet. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned a homicide detail. You get a call that a 72-year-old man has been murdered. His invalid wife has been brutally beaten. There's no lead to the assailants. Your job, get them. When you're asked to try a cigarette, you want to know, and you ought to know, what that cigarette is meant to people who smoke it and who smoke it all the time. For almost a year now, a medical specialist has given a group of Chesterfield smokers thorough examinations every two months. He reports no adverse effects to their noses, their throats, or sinuses from smoking Chesterfields. More and more men and women all over the country are finding out every day that Chesterfield is best for them. Enjoy your smoking. Try Chesterfields today. You'll find Chesterfield much milder, with an extraordinarily good taste. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case transcribed from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Tuesday, August 12th. It was warm in Los Angeles. We were working the day watch out of homicide detail. My partner's Frank Smith. The boss is Thad Brown, chief of detectives. My name's Friday. We were on the way out from the office, and it was 8.12 a.m. when we got to 8469 North Brighton Avenue. The front door. Yes? Mrs. Hurley? Yes, who are you? Police officers. It's my partner, Frank Smith. My name's Friday. Oh, well, it's about time you got here. Yes, ma'am. I wonder if we could see Mrs. Stone. I don't think so. The ambulance man's with her now, giving her some kind of pill, something to calm her down. Lord knows, the poor thing certainly needs something. Yes, ma'am. We'd like to see her, please. Like I said, I don't know if you can. I'll have to ask the ambulance man. Well, I'm sure it's all right, ma'am, if you just let us talk to the attendant. You just wait here. I'll talk to him. Now, look, I don't like to be rude, ma'am, but this is a murder investigation. If you'll open the door, please. How do I know you're what you say you are? How do I know you're cops? Well, here's our identification. Well, looks enough like you, I guess. All right, come on. Thank you. Where is Mrs. Stone? Back there, in the back bedroom. I'll check with the attendant. Jeff. Right, Frank. I wonder if you could tell us what you know about this, Mrs. Hurley. You just bet I can. You just bet. That poor woman back there. She's lying at death's door because you didn't do your job, you know that? Ma'am? At death's door. It's your job to see that things like this don't happen. That's what you're paid for. And look, just look. Her poor husband dead and herself all beaten. Poor thing. I just don't understand what the world's coming to when things like this can happen. Well, first, ma'am, there was no way we could stop this. I think you understand that. We're trying to clean it up now. We're going to need your help to do it. Now, if you just tell me what happened, please. Yeah, that's what you say. I know different. All right, Miss Hurley. The faster we can get started on this thing, the better chance we have of getting the people responsible for it. I suppose so. Well, what do you want to know? Well, if you'd please start at the beginning and tell me what you know about it. Yeah. Well, it started this morning. About 7 or 7.15, I think. I heard this noise at the back door, kind of a scratching kind of noise. And a moan, a little tiny moan. Sounded like it was way off, kind of in the distance. Yes, ma'am. First, I wasn't sure that I wasn't dreaming the whole thing. You know how it is when you're awakened out of a sound sleep. Yes, I understand. Well, it was like that. It took me about ten minutes before I knew that there really was something there. Well, I got up and went to the door. And that's when I found her, right there at the back door, kind of laying on the porch. I could see right away that someone had beaten her. That's when I called the ambulance. And then she told me about how her husband had been killed, and then I called you. The other car, the one with the men in uniform, come out. Mm -hmm. They looked around, and then they went over to the house. That would be the Stone's house? That's right, next door. I see. How about it, Frank? Well, it's pretty bad, Joe. They're treating her now. Can we see her? Well, the attendant says it'll be all right for a couple of minutes. Not much more than that. They're going to take her to Georgia Street. Okay. 
He said he'd let us know and we could talk to her. All right, fine. Did she tell you what happened, Mrs. Hurley, anything at all? Just that there was two men. They come in and beat up on her, killed her husband. That was enough. One look at her and I could tell she was hurt bad. And her an invalid. I just don't understand how anybody in their right mind could do a thing like this. I just don't understand it. Yes, ma'am. Now, you say that she's an invalid, is that right? Yes, they were involved in an auto accident a couple of years ago. Some drunk ran right into him, smashed the car all up, laid Mr. Stone up for a couple of months, and put Patricia in a wheelchair for the rest of her life. Can't walk at all. She crawled over here. Don't know how she did it. It's great courage. Yes, ma'am. Did you hear anything at all last night? Any disturbances? Not a thing. What you told not me? a thing. Went to bed about ten. Slept like a rock. Didn't hear a thing until this morning. That was about seven, seven fifteen, maybe. Like I said, nope. I didn't hear a thing. Well, do you know if there was anyone that the Stones were afraid of? Anyone who might have done a thing like this? Nope. I can't think of a soul. How about money, ma'am? Did Mister Stone keep large sums of money around the house? Well, now I don't know. You might have. Joe. Well, yeah, Hal. You want to see her now? Yeah, come on, Frank. All right. You gonna want to talk to me some more? Yes, ma'am. We'll be back. <laughs> Mrs. Stone. <laughs> Mrs. Stone. Yes. Who is it? Police officers, ma'am. We know you don't feel well, but there are a few questions we'd like to ask if you don't mind. You got the men yet? The ones who did this. No, ma'am, not yet. I tried to tell them. I tried. They just wouldn't listen. Ma'am. I told them to take whatever they wanted and leave us alone. Just leave us alone. I tried to tell them. They wouldn't listen. They killed Henry. They tried to kill me. Do you know who they were, Mrs. Stone? What? I say, do you know who they were? The men who did this, do you know who they were? Had you ever seen them before? No, I don't think so. It was dark. Then I heard them argue with Henry. I tried to get up. I tried to help him, but I couldn't. I screamed, but they didn't pay attention. Then they killed him. Ma'am, can you describe them for us? Tell us how tall they were, how they were dressed, maybe? They didn't know that I was there. Then they came into my room, and they said they'd kill the other one, so they might as well kill me, too. I tried to tell them to go away, and they wouldn't listen. They just hit me and hit me and hit me. There was anything I could do. Did they drive a car, ma'am? Is there anything you can tell us that might help us in identifying them? Did one of them use a name, maybe? They locked me in the closet. They put that pillow over my head. I don't know why. I told them they could take what they wanted. Take it, or they just leave us alone. But they didn't. They killed Henry. They tried to kill me. All right, Mrs. Stone, everything's going to be all right here. Don't worry, now. Just try and get some rest. It doesn't matter much now. Isn't anything that matters anymore. Nothing now that they killed Henry. All right, ma'am. Please try not to get upset. Joe. Yeah. Better get her downtown. Well, how's it look for her, Hal? What are her chances? Depends. Yeah. How hard she wants to try. a.m. The ambulance removed Mrs. Stone to Georgia Street Receiving Hospital. We put in a call to the crime lab, and then we talked to the neighbor, Mrs. Hurley. She could add little to what she'd already told us. She said that she'd heard no loud noises during the night and that she'd seen no one in the neighborhood acting suspicious. She told us, however, that Mr. Stone was known to have kept large sums of money in the house. She went on to say that he made no attempt to hide his distrust of banks and that he had often said that all of his money was on the premises. 9.02 a.m. Frank and I went next door to the Stone home. The crime lab and latent fingerprint crews had arrived and were going over the place for physical evidence. We talked to Ray Pinker of the crime lab. This is how they got in. Yeah, toward the screen, huh? Must have done it with their hands. Couldn't find any tool marks. You figured the door was open then, huh, Ray? Yeah, it looks that way. One of those old-fashioned locks, no indication that they forced it. Mm -hmm. Did you find anything else? Take a look back here in the closet. Mm -hmm. Well, they sure tore the place up, didn't they? Yeah, went through everything. Even took the pictures off the walls. Yeah. Ripped up the bedding. There's in the drawer they didn't go through. Any prints at all? Bergman's checking it. Haven't found anything yet that I know of. Pretty bad. Here. Look at the mattress on the husband's bed. <laughs> Tore it all up. Stuffing scattered around the room. Looks like a tornado went through the place. The closet's back here. Uh -huh. This was Mrs. Stone's room. You can see where they dragged her. Yeah. Must have hit her the first time about here, and then they dragged her over to this closet, dropped her in here. 
see where she stacked those suitcases up there to pull herself out the window. I don't know how she did it. Bad office she was. Looks like robbery was the motive then, huh, Ray? Can't agree with that, Joe. Why? Come on back in Stone's room. We found the murder weapon. Checked around. It looks like they picked him up in the backyard. Here, take a look. A couple of wooden clubs. Looks like they came from a walnut tree just outside the back door. Kind of blows the robbery angle. Yeah. They were ready to kill the stones when they came in. a.m. The crime lab finished their investigation of the house. The backyard and the surrounding ground were gone over. In the soft earth at the foot of one of the walnut trees, a pair of footprints was found and plaster casts were made of them. On the lower limbs of the trees, we found the place where the two clubs could have been taken. The rest of the yard and the immediate vicinity were combed, but we found nothing. 12.15 p.m. Frank put in a call to Georgia Street Receiving Hospital. They told him that Mrs. Stone had been given emergency treatment and then had been removed to the county hospital. Her condition was listed as critical. They said that it would be some time before we'd be able to talk to her. 1.30 p.m., we began to canvass the neighborhood. From the people in the surrounding houses, we found that Mr. Stone had retired from the wholesale grocery business about 10 years ago. He devoted himself to the cultivation of prize roses and the care of Mrs. Stone. The neighbors told us that the Stones were quiet and that they seldom entertained. 3.15 p.m., we went back to talk to Mrs. Hurley. I knew you'd be back. Ma'am? I knew you'd come back to talk to me again. Could have told you a lot, but I thought I'd just let you try and find out for yourself. Didn't do too well, did you, hmm? Did you? I don't think I understand, Miss Hurley. Simple. Anything you want to know about this neighborhood, you come to the source. That's me. Anybody knows what's going on here, I do. Yeah, well, if you had information that you thought we should have had, why didn't you tell us before, ma'am? I didn't want to. Ma'am? I said I didn't want to. I still say that you were responsible for this whole thing, done your job, and it wouldn't have happened. Oh, I still haven't forgot. Oh, no, sir. Now, look, Miss Hurley, this is a murder investigation. I've told you that before. A man has been killed, a woman's been badly beaten. We're going to need all the cooperation from you that we can get. I'm ready now. What? I'll cooperate. I'll tell you what you want to know. All right, Miss Hurley. First, do you have any idea who might have done this? You just bet I have. Who, ma'am? Their boy. Only one that's mean enough to do it. Only one. Their boy? Sure. Herman Jr., he's the one. You just bet. Why do you say that? Because I know that's why. Mean kid. Always had trouble with him. Because the only trouble ever was between Patricia and me. Troublemaker. But he was pure and simple, a troublemaker. How old is this boy, Miss Hurley? 36, a real monster. You know where the boy is now? No, and I'm not interested. Happiest day of my life when he moved out of the house. Oh, he and I used to get in some arguments. Little brat. Stand there and think he was so big. Finally, Mr. Stone saw it. Told him to get out. Moved right out of the house, bag and parcel, right out. You mean that Mr. Stone and the boy had arguments? See? That's what I mean. No wonder people don't cooperate with you. I beg your pardon? I say something, then you ask me if I mean it. Of course I mean it. I wouldn't say it otherwise. Like people who ask, what time is it? You tell them, and then they ask if you're sure. If they don't want to believe you, why do they ask you in the first place? Yes, ma'am. Were you there at the time, ma'am? No. No, I wasn't. It was a warm night. Just a couple of months ago, all the windows was open, and I just couldn't help seeing into their house. You know, houses being close together, you can understand it. Yes, ma'am, we can understand. I don't like the way you said that, young man. Well, I didn't mean anything by it, Mrs. Hurley. Oh, well, I suppose not. But I don't want you to get the idea that I'm the nosy type. Oh, no, ma'am, not at all. Well, anyway... Mr. Stone told Herman to get his things and get out. Right out. That night. Uh-huh. Well, did the boy leave that night? Oh, yes, yes. Went right into his room and packed. Said he'd never come back. That he didn't want anything more to do with the old man. Uh-huh. And his father said that was the way he wanted it. He was going to cut him out of his will. Well, you can just believe that's when the trouble really started. Well, now, where was Mrs. Stone all this time? Well, she was in her room, but she'd come out. Wheeled herself right out told them to stop this foolishness. She always was kind of pampering the boy. I think myself, that's what caused him to be like he was. You know, tied to his mother's apron strings all the time. Yes, ma'am. That's when Herman said that about doing something. Said that the old man was senile. Said that he was crazy. And that the money was his, and he was going to see that he got it. Mm-hmm. Said he meant to have it if he had to kill somebody. 4.10 p.m., 
We got the full name and description of the stone boy from Mrs. Hurley. We went back to the office and ran the name through R&I. We found a Herman Stone Jr. with a record listing three arrests on charges of 4127A LAMC. We checked out his last known address, a hotel on South Hill, and found that he'd moved several weeks before. The manager gave us a forwarding address, and at 6.10 p.m., Frank and I drove out to see him. It was a large apartment hotel on Wilshire Boulevard. We talked to the desk clerk. Sure, I know Herman. Nice guy. Once in a while, it gets a little loud, but most of the time, he's a real nice guy. Is he here now? I don't think so. Let me look. Uh, key's here. I think I saw him go out about an hour ago. He wasn't feeling too well. Bad hangover. Any idea where he might be? No, like I said, I didn't talk to him. Just saw him go out. You know what he does for a living? Herman? Yes, sir. I don't think he does nothing. Plays the horses a little bit. Picks up a buck that way. Good player. Sure knows the dogs. Giving me a couple of tips. Didn't do any good. He sure does all right. Made a real killing yesterday. Must have hit it for about four or five thousand. That right? Yeah. Showed me the money this morning. Real big roll. At least four or five grand. Tips he gave me never did that good. You got any idea where he was last night? So what's this all about anyway? Herm done something? Well, it'd be better if we talked to him. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, I guess you guys know what you're doing, huh? Well, yes, sir. He asked me if I knew what he was doing last night? Uh-huh. I sure do. He really tied one on. Of course, with his luck, I don't wonder. Really tied one on. Sir? Loaded. He got in here. He had a bottle. Say so you won't say anything about this to the management, will you? No, sir, we won't. Couldn't have that happen. They don't approve of drinking while I'm on duty. You understand. Kind of stuffy, but that's the way they look at it. Uh-huh. Like I said, old Herm rolls in here, and he's got this bottle. Asked me to have one with him. Well, I don't like to get him sore, so I do. And we have a couple of more. Old Herm, that boy can really put it away. Yes, sir. What time was that? Well, let's see. I guess about 7, maybe 7.15. Mm-hmm. Did he go out after that? Sure didn't. Killed the bottle, and then he passed right out, cold. Slept there on that couch. Uh-huh. No, sir. Old Herm didn't go anyplace. You are listening to Dragnet, the authentic story of your police force in action. Chesterfield is the first cigarette to offer smokers premium quality in both regular and king size. King size Chesterfield contains tobaccos of better quality and higher price than any other king-size cigarette. Chesterfield is first to name all its ingredients, ingredients that make the best possible smoke. And Chesterfield gives you this scientific report. No adverse effects to the nose and throat of a group smoking only Chesterfields. So enjoy your smoking. Change to Chesterfield today. Much milder, with an extraordinarily good taste. p.m. Herman Stone returned to the hotel. Frank and I talked to him for about an hour. He appeared quite shaken when we told him of his father's death. We questioned him about the money that he'd suddenly come up with. He explained that he'd won it at the races. He gave us the name of the man who accompanied him to the track. Frank and I checked with him and found that Stone's story was true. We checked his shoe size and found that it was not the same as the print found at the scene of the murder. 10.46 p.m. We called the office and they told us that we'd gotten a message from the county hospital. Mrs. Stone was able to talk. She wasn't completely out of danger, but barring a relapse, she was expected to recover. Frank and I drove out to the hospital and talked to her. I wish I could help you more than I have, but there just isn't anything else. Well, could you give us any idea of about how tall they were? That'd be pretty hard to do, Mr. Friday. I was lying down when they came into my room. I could only guess, but I'd say maybe as tall as you. I don't think much taller. I see. Now, how about their build, ma'am? Was it heavy or slight? I can't be sure. I guess if I must say one or the other, I have to say they're about medium. One was very strong, though. Ma'am? The one that carried me to the closet. He was strong. Just lifted me out of bed and carried me over to the closet and threw me on the floor. Did your husband have any large amounts of money in the house? Yes. Yes, he did. Herman never believed in banks, not since the crash. Always said that he could take care of the money as well as they could. Yes, ma'am. He had all of his savings in the house. Kept them in the mattress on on his bed. Do you know about how much that might be, Mrs. Stone? I'd only be guessing, but I'd say maybe twelve or $13,000. Herman didn't discuss finances with me. He always thought it was a man's business and that I shouldn't have to worry about it. I tried to tell him. 
tried all the time. What's that, ma'am? That he should put the money in a bank. He used to talk about it, too. I know that didn't help any. Well, who'd he talk to, Mrs. Stone? People in the neighborhood. He used to tell them that he didn't get the interest, but that he always knew just where his money was. He used to ask them if they could say the same. Mm-hmm. Can you think of anybody in the neighborhood who might do a thing like this? Oh, no. We've lived there for a long time. No, none of them would even think about it. I see. Did you or your husband have any enemies? Anyone that you had any arguments with, maybe? No, there wasn't anyone. Mr. Friday? Yes, ma'am? Does my son know about this? Does he know that his father is... Does he know about it? Yes, ma'am, he does. He's outside in the hall right now. He said he'd like to see you. Poor boy. Never did get along with his father. I tried to make them understand each other. I tried so hard, didn't seem to do any good. Mm-hmm. Well, if there's nothing else that you can tell us, ma'am. There's one thing. I hate to mention it, it seems so silly. What's that, Mrs. Stone? Well, when they were arguing with Herman in the next room, they got very loud. I thought that I recognized one of the voices, and I can't be sure, but at the time, I thought it. Yes, ma'am. Then when they came into my room, I was pretty sure. But I could be wrong, and I... Well, I wouldn't want to cause anybody any trouble. I wouldn't want to make a mistake. Well, who do you think it might have been? Whose voice do you think it was? It sounded like Smokey's. Who? Smokey. He used to do some work around the yard for Herman. That was a year or so ago. I haven't seen him since then. Well, do you know where we can get in touch with him, ma'am? No, I don't. As I said, I haven't seen him in over a year. What's his full name, Mrs. Stone? I don't know, but that's why I thought it might be a little silly. I don't even know his right name. He just told us his name was Smokey. The young man always had a cigarette in his mouth, chain smoker, I think you'd call. Uh-huh. Herman used to kid him about it, you know, smoking all the time. I don't think Smokey liked it. He was a pretty serious young man. He used to get a little angry at Herman. I see. Can you give us a description of the man? Oh, yes. Nice-looking boy. I hope I haven't made a mistake. I hope I haven't done the wrong thing. Well, don't you worry about it, Miss Stone. What? That's his worry now. We continued to talk to Mrs. Stone. We got the description of the handyman who'd worked for her husband. 11.28 p.m., we went back to the city hall and ran the name and description through the moniker files in R&I. We came up with one good possible... In checking his record, we found that his full name was Charles P. Roxford. His age was listed as 37 years. The rest of his description matched the one we'd gotten from Mrs. Stone. He had an arrest record listing several charges of forgery, and at that time, there was an outstanding warrant on him for check passing. We went back to the office and called forgery division. Yeah, Roxford. Yeah, that's right, Charles R. Huh? Well, we want to talk to him about a killing out on Brighton. Yeah. What? When was that? Yeah. Okay, we'll be right there. Well, that's a break. What do you mean? They know where he is? They got him. Charles Roxford had been picked up a few minutes before by officers in forgery division while he was trying to pass a bad check. Frank and I went down the hall and took the prisoner to the interrogation room. We talked to him for two hours. During that time, he'd admit nothing except his name and that he'd been trying to pass a phony check. You're off your rocker, and you know it. You got me for one thing, hanging paper. That's it, and you can't make anything more out of it. How about this money we found on you? Yeah, how about it? Where'd it come from? I won it. Where? In a crap game. Where was the game? I forgot. It was a floating game. Moved around a lot. You worked for the Stone family a year or so ago? Mm, I don't know. I might have. I worked for a lot of people. You worked for them? I might have, like I said. They seem to think you did. All right, so I did. What's that mean? You ever have any arguments with Stone? No, got along good. Never had no trouble. His wife thinks different. Oh, that's so? That's right. And she's off a rocket, too. Now, look, maybe you guys got all night, but I you haven't. You aren't going anyplace. Well, how about booking me and let's talk in the morning, then, huh? All right, fine, Roxford, as soon as you answer a few more questions I for I told us. you all I know. Maybe you forgot something. Let's go over it again. What do you say? All right, all right. Where do you want to start? Well, can you tell us what you've been doing the last few days? Uh, any day in particular, or do you want to run down minute by minute? You just tell us what you've been doing, will you? Well, uh, let's see. Uh, this is Tuesday, isn't it? Yeah, it's Tuesday. All right, let's start with Monday. that all right with you? Come on, get on with it. Well, I got up yesterday morning about, uh, I think it was 11.30, lit a cigarette, got dressed, went downstairs and had some breakfast. Interesting? 
Go ahead. Oh, I can spice it up for you, you know, if you want. It's kind of dull when you tell a story. Well, you just tell a story, man. Oh, what are you guys trying to prove? What are you trying to tell? What'd you do last night? I had dinner and went to a show. Where'd you eat dinner? Place down on the spring. Did you eat alone? Yeah. What'd you do then? Like I said, I went to a show. Who went with you? Nobody. I, I didn't say anybody went with me. Oh, I must have thought you said that. Yeah. I went alone. Right. Where'd you go after that? I walked around, had a couple of drinks. Where? A bar down on Fifth. What time was that? About 12.30 or so. Anybody with you? No. You know the bartender? No, I never went in a place before. Then you got no way of proving you were there, No, it? do I have to? Did it help? Well, why? I'm a big boy now. I don't have to explain anything to you guys. Now, get off my back, will you? I'm getting sick of playing footsie. Where'd you go show. after you left that bar? I went home. Where's that? It's a place over on 4th. What time did you get in? I don't know. Maybe 1.30, 2. Mm-hmm. Desk clerk say you come in? No, he's asleep. How long ago did you say you worked for the Stone? I didn't. You said I worked for him a year Is ago. That right? I guess so. I forgot. What, what's this bit about the stones? You got any way of proving where you were last night? Like I said, I don't have to. That's the way you look at it, mister. You're in trouble if you can't come up with an alibi we can't break. That right? Yep. Why? Because Mrs. Stone got a good look at you. She couldn't have. The lights were out. Yeah, no, that's clever, Roxford. You want to tell us about it now? Come on, Roxford. <laughs> All right, I should have known. I should have known. I never should have done it, but I didn't have any choice. You, you, you can't figure that, can you? What do you mean? Well, I, I owed this money. The guys were getting tired of waiting. They said I had to come up with it. I, I didn't have any choice. Is that right? Sure. Well, you can see it, can't you? I had to come up with the money. I tried to win it back. The more I played, the more I owed them. There just wasn't any other way. I knew old man Stone had it. wasn't doing him any good, and I needed it, and I knew where he kept the money. Who was with you? Jackie Forbes. You know where we can find him? Yeah, yeah, I'll tell you. All right, you want to get the stenographer, Frank? Yeah. I should have known. Should have known, but there just wasn't any choice. There wasn't any other way. Well, why'd you kill him? He knew who I was. There's no choice. I had to. Is that right? Well, sure. You can see that yourself, can't you? I, I couldn't find any other way. You didn't look very hard, did you? The story you have just heard was true. The names were changed to protect the innocent. On December 10th, trial was held in Department 89, Superior Court of the State of California, in and for the County of Los Angeles. In a moment, the results of that trial. Now, here is our star, Jack Webb. Thank you, George Fenneman. Friends, as I've told you before, Chesterfield is the first cigarette to give you premium quality throughout in both regular and king size. And Chesterfield is the cigarette that gives you this scientific report. No adverse effects to the nose and throat of a group smoking only Chesterfields. Now, as a two-pack-a-day Chesterfield smoker, I know it's the cigarette that's best for me. They really are much milder, and I'm sure when you try them, regular or king-size, you'll agree Chesterfield is best for you. Charles Richard Roxford and Jack Allen Forbes were tried and convicted of murder in the first degree. They were executed in the lethal gas chamber at the state penitentiary, San Quentin, California. You have just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice comes from the office of Chief of Police W.H. Parker, Los Angeles Police Department. Technical advisors Captain Jack Donahoe, Sergeant Marty Wynn, Sergeant Vance Brasher. Heard tonight were Ben Alexander, Virginia Gregg, Stacy Harris. Script by John Robinson. Music by Walter Schumann. Hal Gibney speaking. For a million laughs, tune in Chesterfield's Martin and Lewis show Tuesday on this same NBC station. And sound off for Chesterfield's. Either regular or king size, you'll find premium quality Chesterfield's much milder. Chesterfield is best for you. Chesterfield has brought you Dragnet transcribed from Los Angeles. Tonight it's Adventure with Barry Craig, confidential investigator on NBC. Thanks for joining us at 1001 Radio Days. If you enjoyed this presentation of Dragnet, please do stop a moment and send us a kind review. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks so much for being great listeners.
and we'll be back soon. Oh, by the way, we bring episodes here every Sunday afternoon at noon Eastern Time and every Wednesday afternoon at 5 p.m., so twice a week here at 1001 Radio Days. Same way with 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. Sundays and Wednesdays. Thanks for joining us.